Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today I'm going to go ahead and go first. And my topic is where does tattoo ink go? On your skin. It does go on your skin. Uh, So where does it go in your skin? Why does it stick around? Why is it primarily permanent and then also where does it go when it fades yeah so it's this is a pretty it's a strikingly simple topic uh for a very interesting um bodily reaction uh so when you when you get a tattoo done ink is inserted into wounds that are created in your skin by uh typically it is much more common nowadays to get a tattoo done with a uh, tattoo needle and modern machinery. I believe tattooists hate when the um, the thing that you get the tattoo from where the needles are held and the ink is held are, is called a gun. So I'm not going to call it that, but I don't really know what to call it because I'm not a tattoo artist and I don't even have any tattoos. Uh, Every tattoo artist I've ever known calls it a tattoo gun. Well, there we go. <laughs> but I don't know if they just say that for, you know, like lay people so we understand it. Right. That's yeah. entirely possible. It's entirely possible that I uh, read that and then it's not true. <laughs> uh, and I'll get into more traditional tattooing because humans have been tattooing themselves and each other for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And we have, uh, you know, like bog bodies and things like that, where skin has been preserved, very old skin that still has tattoos all over it. So it's very permanent. Uh, So when you're a tattooed, ink is inserted into wounds and it's sort of sucked up by the skin, kind of like it's capillary action, so it's like sucking something through a straw. Well, it's more like putting, an, a, you know, an example that you can do in the real world would be like having a drop of water on the countertop and putting a little piece of paper towel, just dipping it in it, and the paper towel pulls the water up itself. Your skin kind of pulls the ink into itself uh, from the needle. Uh, modern tattooing involves mechanized needles. Traditional tattoos include pounding wedges or needles, usually attached to a stick. So you've got a mallet and then you've got a stick with the wedge or the needle or whatever is being used to insert the ink that is encoded with ink into the skin. Uh, so there's a lot of, there's some very engaging Instagram accounts of traditional tattooists and people receiving traditional tattoos that are very fun to watch, I think. I think they're really interesting. Uh, That sounds amazing. Yeah, and it's a really intense process, particularly because a lot of cultures require that you get the entire tattoo at once or over a few sessions, but they're usually very substantial tattoos that are done. It's it's not you do a two-hour session of outlines, and then three weeks later you come back and do, you know, some shading, and then three weeks later you come back and do a little, you know, it's not it's not cut up into many pieces, if any. Uh, there's also 
And this is more like scarification, but it's like tattoo adjacent behavior uh, where you wound the skin and rub ink or ashes or some similar product into the wounds and then the skin will take up the pigment from that. And then there's also things like stick and pokes or they're sometimes called prison tats where people use an actual sewing needle and like pen ink or whatever they can get a hold of. Uh, I've known a few people with stick and pokes and you know, you're, you're getting tattoos are one of those things where you get what you pay for and you pay for what you get. Mm, definitely. Uh, so you, you definitely get a, a handmade tattoo made out of a sewing needle and pen ink. That's what you get. <laughs> uh, the ink is inserted not into the top layer of the skin, the epidermis, but into the next layer down. Skin has a huge number of layers. It's a really complex organ. But there's the epidermis, and then there's the dermis. Uh, and when you are wounded and the ink is sort of sucked into the wounds through capillary action, your body starts an immune reaction. Uh, these cells called macrophages, which are immune system cells, they swoop in. And this is, I wrote this at like four in this morning because I have terrible insomnia. Macrophages swoop in and chow down on the ink, but the ink particles are very large and hard to break down. So the phages just hang out in the dermis. <laughs> like, like they're just chilling because they've got a, had a big meal. Um, ink particles are fairly large. It's hard for their, the body to break them down on its own. So these cells full of tattoo ink, these immune cells just hang out. Uh, and they tend to hang out very conveniently in the shape of the tattoo your tattoo artist gave you. So when those phages die, new ones come in and eat the remaining, uh, eat the ink that's left over. So the cell dies, there's still ink in your dermis and a new cell comes in. This goes on for the duration of you know, the life of your tattoo. Uh, and then by the time, you know, for those tattoos that are very, very old on, you know, mummified bodies and whatnot, uh, obviously the body is not trying to break those down anymore. And since they've been preserved in say a bog or on the top of a mountain, uh, nothing got to them like UV radiation to break the ink particles up. So uh, some of the ink can be broken down over time into smaller pieces, uh, which can then be carried to the lymphatic system by the macrophages and disposed of by the body, which is why tattoos, as they age, can fade and colors can change. And, it, you know, it all depends on the size of the ink particles and how digestible they are by uh, the immune system. Uh, and one thing I read which is worth noting, is lymph nodes can store tattoo inks. Uh, so it's important to make sure that any scan findings in medical settings that show irregularities in lymph nodes are not just showing tattoo ink in your lymph nodes. Just worth noting. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's it. That's where tattoo ink goes in your skin. Macrophages uh, swallow it, and then they're too chunky to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then so 
I've covered a little bit about tattoo fading from the body digesting the ink. Um, but why does sun fade tattoos? And then how does tattoo removal work? So sun and, you know, sunshine is made up of a lot of things, including visible light, but also UV radiation. And the UV radiation breaks up, it degrades the ink into smaller pieces, allowing the body to more readily remove them. So that's why it's basically like t your tattoo ink is being slightly destabilized by UV radiation. And so the body can more readily get rid of it because your body is trying to get rid of your tattoo all the time. That's why you still have a tattoo, actually. Uh, you know, you, you have a tattoo because the macrophages are too big to move, but your body is always trying to get rid of your tattoo with macrophages. So there's always going to be, as long as you're still alive and your immune system's functioning well, uh, there will always be macrophages trying to remove your tattoo. It's an interesting sort of uh, feedback loop. Wow. And then uh, with tattoo removal, so people have wanted to remove tattoos, I have a feeling, since people were giving themselves and others tattoos uh, to some extent. And the old methods, much like traditional tattooing methods, are rough, like intense. Uh, dermabrasion, salabrasion, which is uh, salt abrasion of your skin, uh, applying acid, excising, so removing the skin, cryosurgery, freezing the skin, uh, over tattooing with acids and other uh, materials, and then lasers. And lasers have been the most effective and least damaging because obviously if you're just like abrading your skin away to get rid of the tattoo ink you're going through your epidermis onto your dermis you're doing a lot of damage to your skin or acid say or excision where you're removing skin oh gosh yeah so <laughs> the lasers much like uv radiation bust the ink up into smaller pieces so the ink can be transported to the lymphatic system. Uh, there are three current main types of lasers used for tattoo removal. Uh, YAG, Ruby, and Alexandrite lasers. Uh, they, Based on their wavelength, they often target one color at a time. Uh, and different wavelengths of laser for different colors. Uh, the most effective and sort of resulting in the least scarification uh, currently for laser removal for tattoos is uh, called a Q-switching laser. It's a pulsing layer with very, very high pulse energies and longer pulse durations than other styles of laser. Uh, it is my understanding, although I've never experienced this, that laser removal is painful, it is expensive, it is somewhat spotty in, in its efficacy, particularly because you're relying on both the lasers to break up the pigment particles and then the macrophages to get rid of the pigment particles. So it's, it's not just a one step of, you know, you laser it and it's gone. You laser it and then your body starts dealing with it the way it had been wanting to since you got the tattoo. 
Uh, it can be very hard to remove yellows and greens. Uh, the easiest colors to remove through laser removal are things like blues and blacks. And uh, that's where tattoo ink goes. Uh, after it, cool. Yeah, after it gets in your lymphatic system, it's handled like a bodily waste product, but sometimes it can just sit around in your lymphatic system, so it's worth noting that. Huh. So I have my largest tattoo is over 20 years old now. Um, well, it's about probably about 20 years old. And it's on my back, and that part of my body almost never sees the light of day. Like, it's it's never sees sun. Mm -hmm. And it is a lot, a lot less faded than my newer tattoo that's on my shoulder that's probably about 15 years old um, that sees sun. Mm -hmm. So I had always thought it was just probably sun but I'm wondering if it also has to do with like where on my body it is as well I do uh it is it's this isn't as well understood as it could be uh, because yeah. more people are getting tattoos and so more people are trying to remove them uh and more people are getting tattoos in visible places uh mm -hmm. so there are different parts of the body that is thought with um with uh, parts of the body that have less underlying bone immediately under the tattoo, uh, right. it may be the case that there's more flesh turnover and there's more possibility of fading and uh, removal of pigment by your immune system. Right. Uh, but then there's also uh, places where the skin has more turnover, period. Right. I know that finger tattoos are particularly difficult to fix permanently, meaning like a fix to your skin permanently, not fix as in redo or something like that. Right. Uh, and then hand tattoos and foot tattoos are known to fade and hands and feet have a lot of skin turnover. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know how much difference there would be between shoulder and back. And it may just be that UV radiation is breaking up the ink enough that your body can get rid of it. Right. And it's over my shoulder blade. So there's less, there's less cushioning there as you will, <laughs> as opposed to, um, my, my back, my, my back fat, my back. <laughs> um, and by the way, yes, they hurt a lot. It's like getting a sunburn over and over and the healing is much like a, a sunburn. You have to treat your, your tattoos very nicely if you want them to heal nicely. Yeah, and uh, part of the goal of aftercare is to prevent uh, too much removal of ink yeah. early on by your body's immune system. So you don't want to pick at it because if you have scabs that go all the way to the dermis, it can remove some of the ink. Yeah. Uh, if you expose it to sun, especially early on, you've got an actual open wound. So it's not a good idea to expose any open wounds to radiation. That's, I'm not a doctor, but that's a pretty good piece of advice that we can all go by. Nope. My tattoo artist that did um, the one on my shoulder was like, you're always going to have to put sunscreen there if you have it exposed to the sun. Mm -hmm. um, because that skin is more sensitive now and you're going to get a worse sunburn where your tattoo is. Right. Well, and then depending on ink composition, I know that there are sometimes interactions between inks and say MRIs uh, because 
and you can get sort of, it's sort of like getting a, a mild burn at your tattoo because of the interaction with the MRI. So there may be interactions with the constituents of ink and the sun and your skin that make it more sensitive as well. Yeah. I've had a few MRIs and they, they, they always ask me, but I've never had a problem. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that's where it goes. Tattoo. Awesome. That was very interesting. So my topic is interesting because it's also about color, but it's a, um, it started with Crayola color cycle. Um, a friend of mine sent me this email. Thank you, Megan, about Crayola color cycle program. Um, and the color cycle program is basically schools um, could have drives to collect their old markers and you could send the markers back to Crayola for free and they would recycle them. And nice. I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, what are they doing <laughs> with these markers? Okay, great. What are they doing with the markers? So from my understanding, and there's not a lot of information from Crayola about this, the markers are melted down into liquid plastic and then made into synthetic fuel or synth gas. <gasps> That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, one estimate from a lady online was that 600 pounds of markers will will yield 60 gallons of fuel. Wow. Yeah. So, but I was like, okay, great. This is like a small paragraph. What does that mean? And how are markers made anyway? Like, I don't, like, what are they melting down? What is happening? Um, so I went right to the source. I went to Crayola.com. And this is a quote directly from Crayola. Crayola markers are made from five components, which include a water-based color solution, a porous plastic nib, a plastic barrel, a cotton filament, and a cap. The main ingredients in the color solution are water and dyes. Our specific ingredient information is proprietary, of course. Mm -hmm. And we produce approximately 465 million Crayola markers per year. So my assumption from this is that what Crayola Color Cycle is doing is taking the, the plastic barrels and the caps mm -hmm. and then melting them down. And I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? I don't. I don't really understand that. So I had, I went, this, this went into a, an ex a mind experiment and then eventually researching plastics to fuels. Mm -hmm. So I, I had always thought that it was kind of like um, a fantasy land. Like this was not a thing that was going to happen, but it turns out it's actually more common now. And people have actually made pretty good, pyrolysis like home pyrolysis reactor chambers at home um to turn their plastic scraps into fuel so i was like oh well that's cool i had no idea so basically plastics are hydrocarbons anyway they they started out as natural gas and oil to begin with mm -hmm. they're just long chains of hydrogen and carbon um the plastics um, are put into these chambers. They're melted down. There's no combustion, so it's an oxygen-free environment. They're vaporized. Then the gases are cooled and condensed. Um, and the process, as I said earlier, is called pyrolysis. So these are little pyrolysis reactors. 
And from there, the condensed liquid can be separated into oil and fuel, um, including actual diesel that people can run in cars. Wow. Um, so there are no toxic gases released either because it's not oxidized. It's not an oxidized reaction, mm-hmm. which I found amazing. And so I found this video. It looked like this lady was a teacher. Maybe like the, the video quality was not that great, but she was actually very, very good. She had like this home. It looked like a, she said it was the desktop model. So apparently there's, these companies now like selling these little, it looks like a kiln, honestly. It's a kiln with like little um, copper pipes coming out of it for the condensing of the gases. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that this particular machine only took um, plastics number two, number four, number five, and number six. Interesting. Um, yeah. So she put this plastic and she used a lot of plastic caps into this little kiln looking thing um she filled the chamber next to it about half full with tap water and then she was talking about like hooking up the hydrocarbon filter and then um the machine had a valve on the side she said that after um the process the melting process was done um that's where the oil would cool and condense and it would go into the water and oil and water don't mix. So it would be easy to kind of siphon off the oil and gas. Uh And it took about two to three hours, which I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well what about larger setups and larger setups are pretty much like just larger versions of this. Um, The plastics are shredded first because they're such a large scale and then they're pretty much the same. They put it into a giant furnace. It's not a furnace, but it's like a kiln looking thing. Uh They melt it down. um, And then they um, siphon off the oil and gas, which is very cool. Yeah. So um, these technologies I'm guessing are relatively new and it seems like they're pretty accessible. Like, I don't know that it's new that cause we've always known about pyrolysis, but it seems new as in people making desktop chambers that you can do this yourself in. Yeah. And, someone just doing a YouTube video sitting mm-hmm. at their desk and like, here are these, here are these caps. Now here's my fuel. It's that's, pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah, the fuel, um, I heard some guy say, because um, in this one video, this guy was like, well, how is it? Is it clean burning? You know, can you actually use it? And one guy's like, yeah, it's, uh, he was like a a scientist that worked um, with, with cars. And he said that it's actually more, it's cleaner burning, and it's more efficient. Plus, we haven't had to mine it out of the ground. Um, Mm -hmm. It's already readily available in whatever in the landfill. Um, so the process has a lot of promise, but I was honestly thinking like, okay, so how are these little kiln machines powered? So I would think the efficiency really, the energy efficiency itself really depends on the plug that goes into the wall and what is, what is beyond that. Like is if your power plant is that your house is hooked up to is burning coal 
and you're getting most of your power from coal, then, I mean, it's, it's I don't know how neutral it would be because these, these machines heat up to like 800 degrees um, to melt all this plastic. So I guess the, what am I trying to say? The, the cost of it, the, um, sort of life cycle of, yes, the life cycle of, of the plastic itself. I don't know if it's cheaper to do this now, um, and more good for the environment or better for the environment now. Um, as opposed to if you, if you're, house is running on solar energy um, and your little machine would be running off solar energy and renewable energy, if it's better th for the environment now or if it's just something that's more promising in the, in the future. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, obviously, we didn't have to mine the plastic and then make the plastic, like mine the plastic as in take the oil out of the ground. Um, make the plastic itself, which is a process in itself, um, and then throw it away. And then there's that cycle. Or if it if it's better that we just make the plastic, we take the plastic and make the fuel that way. I don't know at this point which is better. Um, but it seems like in the future it would be definitely better as we run out of oil that we have all this promise of fuel in the future that we could use. Right. And, you know, I've, I've thought before it's highly likely that we're going to end up mining landfills. Yeah. Uh, and that could easily be a product that is extracted from landfills. Yeah. And I guess the internal combustion engine itself is not terribly efficient and never has been. Mm -hmm. This is my understanding of it. Um, so, I guess we can't really improve too much upon it. I mean, it's, I guess it's not that like the fuel efficiency is kind of a fantasy land is from my understanding of it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely things we can improve. Um, so I don't know if we'll ever get out of having to put gas into cars or if we'll all go to, to battery electric cars or not. I don't know. So it's great that we have an option in reusing the plastic instead of dumping it into the ocean. <laughs> well, maybe it'll just be used to like run lawnmowers or something, you know, yeah. it'll be, yeah. it'll be a small specific purpose fuel generation system. Well, no, there's also heavy machinery. I'm not sure we could ever run like giant heavy machinery that we need um, for construction and stuff. I don't think we could ever run those off of batteries. I mean, that would be an enormous battery that would have to run those kind of things. So diesel is really generally what those machines run off of. And you can get diesel from plastics pretty easy, pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And I guess they're cleaner burning. Like they are, they're producing less CO2 than traditional fuel, which I found fascinating. I guess probably because they've been refined and then refined and then yes. refined. That was my general understanding of it. Um, 
It was very, it was very cool. And I, when I was a kid, I had always heard, I was like, well, why don't we burn garbage? Like, I don't understand why we can't do that. I actually asked that question in um, science class and the teacher looked at me like, well, but then all that stuff goes into the atmosphere and then um, that's even worse for the environment. I was like, oh yeah, because it's basically trapped energy. Our stuff is just trapped energy and molecules and gases Uh Um, but I guess this since it's not an oxidative reaction it does not have any off gassing well the gas actually is condensed and cooled and that's basically what gives you the gives you your um your fuel right it's more of a self-contained system than yes other systems like biogas or whatever like you use biomass fuels like when we talked about the e-turd system the (laughs) for the dog poop episode yeah (laughs) that gas was used to light the lamp basically which is great yeah so i i think this has a lot of promise and i like that it's out i like that it's cool that you can buy like your own desktop version so I'm imagining Nick finding this out and like you guys have this plastic kiln and, and he's got his power bank of hybrid car batteries and <laughs> <laughs> you guys will have like Earthship over there. <laughs> he's, he's been wanting to do pyrolysis for a long time. So he uh, it's on the list. It's on the long, long list of mad science. <laughs> so he, there was some pretty interesting setups from there was this one setup of these people in South Africa um, had made this and it was like it looked like a still yeah mm-hmm. it yeah they're like often a, like barrel shaped they do often look like stills yes it looked like a still basically um, and I mean kind of it is if you think about it it's very yeah. similar yeah, it's just a fuel still instead of a, exactly. a moonshine setup. So I'm imagining you guys and your Earthship out there. <laughs> Turn it into fuel shiners. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Bring us your plastics. <laughs> <laughs> fuel shiners. <laughs> fuel shiners. <laughs> Um, and so this this um, technology, I watched a few things, and I didn't know if they were a little like trying to sell me on the idea of what or or what. So they were talking about how if we had more of these fuel plants, they would create all these jobs. I was like, oh well, that's kind of cool. Um, but a lot of the plants have come into contact with um, townships and local governments that just don't really understand what it is that they're doing. And so they, they shun the shunt them off into like recycling plant kind of things. Uh And so they are coming into contact with laws that like are, are kind of prohibiting what they do because they don't really understand it. They're just like treating them like waste and recycling um, things. So I think the, public perception needs to be worked on a little bit before this can really take off around the country Uh and then also the energy efficiency as well I I just don't know how how efficient it is and what what the 
output is compared to like what's coming into your wall. Yeah, I don't know. Right, and then, (laughs) and then, you know, it's, it may just be a race to the bottom in terms of fuel prices getting to the point where we have to do it. That's my thinking. That's my thinking of why this is going to happen. I I generally, I have this idea of the future in that um, we'll come to the point where we're like, wow, we can't really make any more stuff. So we'll be basically mining and it'll be like a secondhand, a secondhand economy, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the secondhand econ- economy is going to get larger, but that's just my vision of the future. <laughs> well, and really technically fossil fuels are a secondhand economy because it's leveraging photosynthesis that happened a long no, yeah. time ago. Yeah. Thanks goes out to the dinosaurs. Thank you, dinosaurs, for all your dinosaur juice. Yeah, thank you, old algae. <laughs> and plants. Yeah, thank, thank you. you, algae and plants. You're awesome. <laughs> Thanks for running the world. <laughs> we'll try to not run it into the ground. Yeah, that would be nice because we live here and we don't have another one. Nope. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. That's oh, a- this reminds me. Do, would you live on Mars? Absolutely not. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm like, well, as long as I could take my husband, my fish, and my dog, I mean, sure. <laughs> and I will write you postcards, and we will video chat, and Nick would go with you. It would just be me. <laughs> I just don't want to, and I'm happy for people that do. And I can be one of the left behinds that, you know, sacrifices themselves or whatever to the pending apocalypse. Well, I don't know. Like that we just might get to the point where we just want to live there. We're just like, yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, I don't want to live there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to have to go there. That's actually the problem. Being on Mars would be fine. Getting to Mars would be what I would not want to deal with. Yeah, yeah, because it's a long trip. In a little tin can. In a little tin can. Well, hopefully it wouldn't be a little tin can by then. Hopefully it would be more like uh, like the spaceship with gravity so that it's, um, you know, it's it's always rotating. So there's always yeah. gravity. Yeah. Hopefully it's more like that. If it, well, no, I still wouldn't want to go. <laughs> Run by Elon, Elon Musk bot. Yeah. Because by then he'll have uploaded his his <laughs> consciousness into an AI, and <laughs> it'll just be Elon Musk bot, our captain Elon Musk bot. <laughs> oh jeez, that would be a wild ride. Yeah, I think so too. That was really cool. I'm really excited that Crayola markers get turned into sin gas. That's really an unexpected twist. Isn't it an unexpected twist? And thank you, Megan, for sending this to me. Uh, That was awesome. And by the way, email us with ideas if you have one, if you just want to hear us talk about it. Um, It's really fun to look up stuff that other people want to hear about. Oh, Um, absolutely, yeah. Our email address is where does it pod at gmail.com? 
I think it's where does it podcast at gmail.com. Where does it podcast at gmail.com. I'm in front of a computer, so I'm going to double check. Yeah, double check. (laughs) Who are we? We are where does it podcast at gmail.com. And you can actually find our website at where does it podcast.com. Mm-hmm. Or you, you can also comment on Instagram, where does it pod um, on Instagram. And I believe we're where does it pod one on Twitter. Yeah. And if yeah. you ever want to look at our um, reuse ideas, we have a Pinterest account too. Where does it go? Podcast on Pinterest as well. And I have a reuse project. Yay. Cause I don't. So that's great. <laughs> so we were talking about, I was talking about Crayola color cycle. So this um, put me into, well, what about crayons? Mm-hmm. There's so many reuse ideas with crayons. It's, it's not, it, it's unreal. So you can do so many things with old crayons, you know, the little nubbies that barely work anymore. And you right. like, you're basically drawing with your finger and a little nubby of crayon. So you can make all kinds of things out of them. I've done encaustic painting with crayons. So crayons are basically just paraffin and dye. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you basically take canvas and you melt the crayon because it's just paraffin. And you can melt it beforehand in um, a little pot, which is, you know, basically like a electric cooker, electric skillet and paint with it that way. Or you can take the crayon, um, break it up into pieces on the canvas um, and take a heat gun and just heat it up, watch it melt and see what comes about. So I've, I've done um, encaustic painting with crayons and then I put the little pieces on the canvas. Um, I heat, I used a heat gun and then I used a stamp to make impressions into the crayons. Um, and so it's got this really cool impression of things. And I used bubble wrap so that it looks like a beehive. Um, and then I put little like bees on it. So it's a fun little painting that looks like a waxy beehive. And it Ooh. was made out of crayons. Yeah, so there, it, since the paraffin cools so quickly, uh, it's really fun to play with like the textures. And there's textures everywhere in your house. like um bubble wrap you know plastic caps the bottoms of things coins can often give like a little weird impression if you press them hard enough um yeah and caustic painting with crayons it's really really fun and it's cheap if you got some old crayons and a heat gun definitely that's that's really awesome yeah and you can also make candles out of old crayons as well um i've seen that before too um, where people just take old crayons, um, melt them down and then pour them into, um, little things with wicks. And then they have a new, very colorful, um, crane candle. Cool. Yeah. Neat. Thank you, Sarah. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's where does it go? And we've talked about an awful lot of color today. I know. How crazy. We we don't tell each other usually. So it's interesting that we talk about color. Yeah. It's a, it's been a pigment filled uh episode here at Where Does It Go? <laughs> Make your life colorful. With yes. where does it go? <laughs> yes. Color is awesome. <laughs> <laughs>